Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. This week we celebrate Veterans Day. If you're a veteran, would you stand up, please? Please. Here's why I say that. Because we have the chance to be free today. And we get to worship Jesus. And we get to be a family. And we do all kinds of things because you guys put yourself in a place none of us want to go. And so we want to pray because you know, I heard a statistic this morning that kind of grabbed my heart. Do you, do you know, I think two dozen servicemen commit suicide every day. Just let that sink in for a minute. Two dozen servicemen commit suicide every day. And so we're going to pray for these guys because they've done it. But we're going to pray for those guys who maybe haven't found hope and healing in the person of Christ. Who are trying to sort through and dish through stuff and just ask God to be very real to them. Can we do that? Jesus, this morning, God, we rejoice in knowing, God, that we are a free people. And God, I pray, Father, like Galatians says, God, we, as, as followers of you, wouldn't use our freedom to an occasion to our flesh, but God, we would use the freedom you've made available to us, God, to do the things we ought to do, God, to be, to be worshipers, God, to be generous people, Lord Jesus, God, to be proclaimers of truth and, 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 and honorers, God, of, of, of things of justice and of, of mercy, Lord. And so, God, we're grateful for that. And God, we thank you for these men and women that are represented here right now, God, who have, who have served you well, God, and served uh, our country well, Jesus. And God, we're thankful that in this, in this group, God, there are the, all of them that I could see, God, as we uh, prayed, God, as we had some to stand, God, are, are those who follow you passionately. And God, we thank you, Father, for them. But God, we turn the corner for just a minute. And remember those servicemen right now and those servicewomen, God, who are dealing, God, with things that, no, that none of us can really grab a hold of. God, we, we can't imagine the emotional distress, God, the spiritual darkness they live in and walk in every day. And so, God, today, God, we pray, God, that the heart of, that your heart, God, would be extended towards them. I pray in some way, shape, or form, God, you would break the yoke off of them, God, of, of, of PTSD and all that emotional baggage that, they, that they, they deal with. God, I pray, Father God, they would see you for all that you are. And the Lord God, the glory of the gospel would be there. Lord, you promise us in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, God, that you're the God of all comfort that you know how to comfort us in all of our trouble. And so, God, we ask that you would be that for them this day. God, we rejoice in knowing we're free. And, God, you promised us, God, that, 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 that we would know real love when a, when, a, when a person lays down their life for their friends. And even in that statement, God, we realize the real, the real person who did all that for us is you. And we rejoice in the liberty you gave us. We rejoice in the liberty that's naturally and physically ours by, God, the, the, the idea that we have been born by the grace of God where we were born and where we live. And we love you and we trust you and we honor you, Jesus. It's in your great and awesome name we pray. Everybody say amen. <laughs> kind of odd today. We would start there. Um, again, because we're kind of off of my uh, schedule. And uh, kind of on God's schedule. And um, uh, we're in up at a place. You know, and some of my heroes of faith are those who uh, endured and underwent great suffering. 
At the moment, uh, one of the, 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 the people who are first and foremost in my mind is a fellow by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, I've been reading an autobiography, uh, an autobiography, I've said that I don't know how many times this week. He didn't act, he, he's dead. He couldn't write an autobiography. Um, he wrote, a, uh, Eric Metaxas uh, wrote a biography about Bonhoeffer, it's called Bonhoeffer, and it's a, a, he, is a, he is a Christian man born in Germany in the early 1900s, endured um, all the stuff that went on with Nazism and all that. And one of the amazing pieces of his story is the great suffering he endured, but not just the suffering he endured, also the suffering he chose. He was living here in America while things were disintegrating in Germany. He was from Germany, and he got on the last boat and went back on purpose because his brothers were suffering in Germany. And he would suffer greatly and be found... um, in a prison camp two days before the Allies win in Germany and would have been and, and died just two days before that would go on. And he, it, it, it grabs my heart, man. As I've read his writings, he's a, he was a theologian. I mean, he was smart beyond smart, way beyond me. And I couldn't even begin to quote some of the things he said because it's just profound to me and I'm not that intelligent. But he... Every, every page I read of this book I'm in just challenges me. I think of the Apostle Paul and how he was facing the Bible. He, he would say that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city what way li- lies ahead for me. And he, he prays with the elders from the church in Ephesus. They know they will not see him ever again. And he's facing sure imprisonment and Lord knows what else. And he chooses to go there anyway. They try and talk him out of it. And he runs towards it. You can't talk about that without talking about Jesus, who came to earth for the sheer purpose of running straight towards suffering, bows in a garden and prays that this cup would be taken from him, and he stands up with the power of uh, the Spirit of God and says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He runs right into the face of darkness and suffering and difficulty. And is able to utter words like, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing as he's hanging on a cross. Suffering uh, is something we all have to deal with. But it's not just about the fact that we do suffer. It has everything to do with the way that we suffer. And as humans, we, we just have to do that. We, we need to be able to face it with grace. And we need to be able to face it with joy. We've been talking for the last several weeks about this idea of simplify to simplify, to to eliminate things so that we can be faithful to what God's called us to do and to be. And if we're going to do that, we have to understand that suffering is a part of that package. It help, we have to eliminate things that would disable us from being gracious and joyous during suffering so that we can not only endure, but endure the suffering with the right attitude and a right perspective. The other piece of the puzzle is this, if we, our hands are so full, if our lives are so full, there's one thing that God calls us to do in suffering, it's to help others who are also suffering. And if my hands and my life are so full that I can't, I, I have, I'm carrying so much that I find a brother down on the side of the road who's, who's in the same battle, the same struggle I'm in, and I, I, my hands are so full I can't reach a hand down to pick him up, what good am I? 
And so suffering is a part of the package. Hebrews 12, 1, we've been reading it every week for the last week. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. And let us run. Then the key word for our next few minutes is run with endurance the race God has set before us. And so this morning, I want to just like last week, I would apologize, but it's God's word, and I can't apologize for that. You guys go, is he ever going to hit a nice topic anytime soon? That would be really great. Talked about sin last week and the difficulty that poses to us and, and where, where the sin lines lie, both on the liberal side of the equation and on the legal side of the equation. And today we march right from those two wonderful topics right into suffering. Because it's the way it is in God's word. Okay? Um, it, God, God chooses to pin them that way. And so we're going to walk, we're going to follow him in that. Let's read in Hebrews 10 and read verse 32 for just a second. It reads like this. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Terrible suffering. He says a word there that's really amazing. He says, when you first believed I'm going to tell you a story that just happened to us this week, and not for the form of boasting, but just to get a, get a point across, to, remember, to remind you of what it's like to first believe. Sunday evening, we're in our house. Uh, our, our kids were kind of spread all over the place. It was just Rachel and I and our, and our boys at our house, and um, we're sitting having a conversation, and I honestly don't remember what, what sparked the conversation. As we're sitting there, I'm kind of lounged out on one, one of our pieces of furniture. My wife's lounged out on the other piece of furniture. Our two boys are kneeling down at a coffee table in our front living room. They're playing on some electronic device of some sort, and we're just conversing around the thing. And all of a sudden, my youngest son, Eric, goes, Dad, I've never given my heart to Jesus. Six years old. And so... As any good dad would do, I kind of, my eyes get this big, like, where did that come from? And I begin to ask him questions, because I want to know that he understands. I, mean, I, I, want him to, I want to make sure he gets the idea of the gospel. And so we begin to converse, and from the inside of him, of his soul, weeping and and emotion and he cannot hardly keep it together he's trying with all of his might to answer questions that he cannot he's ha, he, he has a hard at six years old having a hard time articulating and he, he it's just brewing up and so we kind of back off for a minute and, and kind of I said, relax we'll, we'll keep talking and just get, get yourself together son and and rachel was laying there, and then rachel looks over me and she kind of nods like i'm gonna dive in now okay and so she dives in and she starts to ask questions and again an emotion erupts from the inside of him and he's trying to talk, and he don't know what, even have words to say, and he doesn't know what to do. And we're trying to make, make sense of, of, of the thing and make sure the gospel got across. Finally, I'm going to sit down one more time, and, and Rachel explained to him at that moment that it wasn't just about missing hell. It was about giving Jesus your whole life and loving him with every fiber of your being. And Eric, I can't, I can't pray a prayer for you. You have to pray. From your heart towards Jesus. And you know what he does? She says, are you ready to pray? And he shook his head, yes. And he's, he's, he's calm, cool, and collected at that moment. And he goes, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. And he just melts down. Melts. 
I want to love you with my whole life. And that's about as far as he got. And he just whimpers and cried. The Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. You know what happened? All week long, at every chance he got, he told everybody about coming to know Christ. Every, every person. Can I call Papa now? I want to talk to so-and-so. I, can I? I mean, it was just a lie, man. Talking about first believing. He was, I mean, he just right now wants it. As soon as he, the time we got our daughters home, they'd, the boys going to bed. First thing in the morning, can hear him, hear Christiana in the bathroom getting ready for school. And he bounces out of bed. Christiana, I got saved last night. Just that loud and just that intense, man. All week long, we've had this ongoing conversation. We didn't even use the word saved the entire conversation. Now, he's, you know, granted, we're, you know, we're around Christians and church and stuff all the time. So it's pretty, but we didn't use that terminology. He goes, as soon as he got done praying, he goes, I'm saved now. Yeah, yes, son. Yeah, 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 you are. But see, I want to, I want to stoke that in you because remember what it was like when you first believed Remember what it was like when the love of God so ravaged your soul that you emotionally couldn't keep it together, that you couldn't wait for somebody else to hear about the grace and the glory of God. Remember what it was like. He, he's calling into that moment where, where it comes on, where the light switch comes on. And says, Remember when it, when it was you first believed? Remember that? Remember what it was like when the love of God was so profound and so real? We didn't, we didn't propagate that conversation. That's how I know it was real. He, he, he brought it up. We didn't, we were, I was probably mindlessly watching some pregame football show. I don't remember what it was. And he brings it up and it's real and it's passionate and it's powerful to him. At six years old. I want you to be like that. I want, to rem- I want you to remember right now what it's like for you to first hear the gospel, for you to first understand the glory of God, for you to first get that God loves you. And he, would do, he did absolutely everything he could to bring you to himself, that he, he came out of heaven, that he sent his son and said, listen, there's going to be great suffering, but go anyway. It's worth it. And how that, that idea, that thought that you didn't love God, he loved you. Remember those moments. Paul, I think, I, I think it's Paul. Who knows? We're not getting a theological better who wrote Hebrews. But he tried to be confident of what it was that brought them to faith. When we have to be confident of why we believed in the first place. Some of us lose sight of that because I think in some ways we've been sold a false bill of sale in coming to Christ in the first place. When suffering materializes, we think God forgot about us. Because we're told things like, you come to Christ, everything's going to be fine. You come to Christ, things are going to be good. Can I tell you something? Coming to Christ is a good thing, but it's a good thing spiritually and internally. A lot of times it's not a good thing on the outside. In fact, life gets a whole lot more messy in a lot of ways. If you were sold a bill of sale that, hey, everything's going to smooth out, it's going to be great. I apologize to you because you were lied to. And no wonder when things start to fall apart, you go, where's God? Because you were told that Jesus would make everything okay. Jesus does make everything okay in here. 
He makes everything okay on the inside. He never, you cannot find a piece of scripture where Jesus promises us everything will be hunky-dory all the time. Can't find it. Guys want to follow Jesus in the Gospels, and he would say things like this to them. Listen, I don't know where I'm laying my head tonight. Come on. He would say things like, hey, I want to, people come and say, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he would say things like this. I don't have time for your grief. What are you talking about, Jesus? My dad died. I need to go bury him. He said, let the dead bury the dead. We're on God's timetable. If I said it to some of you guys, would freak out. You'd walk out the door right now. You don't even care about it. Jesus said those kinds of things. He would say things like this. Pick up your cross. And he wasn't talking about wearing a nice piece of jewelry or a nice ornament to hang on the wall. He was talking about literally picking up, picking up an electric chair. Pack it with you. This life is going to kill you, I promise, is what he's saying. He would say things like this. Don't think I came to give, bring peace. I come to set a house against itself. Because there's this idea of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness that collide together. And so when you sign up to become a Christian, it's not about everything working out. It's about everything coming together on the inside. That a, that a person is broken to pieces spiritually and emotionally and, and tore up suddenly finds hope and healing that, that's beyond what's circumstantial and temporary. Oh, boy. Jesus, the truth in following Jesus is the here and now will stay messy. The here and now stays messy. But the, the idea is it probably is going to get messier, actually. Because suddenly you have conviction. And now you have to make stands about things. And suddenly people who thought they knew you say, where are you coming from? What are you talking about? You can't be serious. Are you you really believe that? I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. But a new nature, he gives you, not only does it get measured, but he gives you a new nature to deal with the stuff. You become a new creature on the inside. You still have blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever it is. Gray hair in my case. We watched a piece of video this week, man. I saw this dude with dark hair and a dark beard. I thought, who is he? I think I know him, but I, 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 my folks took some great home videos. You know how parents do. I just wanted to not look at them, honestly. Who is that guy? A new nature to deal with them. And he tells us this. He will endow you with love, joy, and peace to help you endure. Great word. Isn't endure a good word? Huh? Makes you feel warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? And he says this. In, in, in eternity, everything will be all right. Not in the here and now. In eternity. It will be an all right. There's a passage of Revelation. You ought to read it. The, the end part of Revelation, like Revelation chapter 20, I think. 21, maybe. It, it, says, this, it says, there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more darkness. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain, no more tears. But that's not now, that's then. And we, we chase towards that thing. Because suffering is a part of the following Jesus travel kit. It's in the baggage. When you sign up with the thing, it's just a part of the deal, man. Don't try and skirt around it. Don't try and get around it. There, there is not a suffering exemption for the follower of Christ. There is, not a fault, there is not a suffering exemption. You don't get a pass. You don't get a pass when it comes to suffering. 
Many times our faith that leads us into or sometimes even creates the suffering circumstance. And then we have to be ready for that. I, I, I subscribe to a, to a thing called the Dennis, Dennis Informed Newsletter. And it's just a, a thing where they, they keep up to speed from a Christian perspective of current events and stuff. I want to read you an expert of it, um, just an excerpt of what, of what something I read recently. It said, there was a day when the church was considered central to, this, to the culture. Stores were closed on Sundays. Church attendance was assumed. In the 60s, moral relativism led many to view the Bible as a diary and Christianity as just one spiritual option. Relegating the church to the cultural sidelines. Now we are seen not just as irrelevant, listen to these next words, not just as irrelevant, but as dangerous. Scriptural, scriptural stands on moral issues such as marriage are castigated as bigoted and harmful. How is our cultural, culture's dismissal of biblical truth working for us? New York Times columnist Roger Cohen recently called our times the great unraveling. From ISIS beheadings to Russian aggression, to European unraveling, to anti-Semitic hatred, to an American retreat, the world is a very different place than it was even 15 years ago. Meanwhile, animosity against Christianity is epidemic. Listen to this next line. The World Christian Encyclopedia estimates that more than 45 million believers were martyred during the 20th century. Recent studies put the number at between 160,000 and 171,000 per year. More than 400 per day who die for following Jesus. That's not first century Christianity. That's modern day right now. Okay? I've seen a rise, this, 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 Mr. Dennison who writes this thing, he says, I've seen a rise in antagonism against Christianity in my own work. A skeptic recently responded to one of my tweets, why Twitter lets you promote this expletive, trash, I'll use that word, is beyond me. Another replied, keep praying on the gullible. He said, it's tempting to respond in kind, but there's a better way. William Barclay was one of the best-known biblical scholars of the 20th century. In his autobiography, a spiritual autobiography, he tells of his 20-year-old daughter's death and a boating accident. An anonymous letter came to him, Dear Dr. Barclay, I know why God killed your daughter. It was to save her from being corrupted by your heresies. Barclay recounts, If I had had the writer's address, I would have written back, not in anger. The inevitable blaze of anger was over in a flash. He said, I would have responded in pity. And he would have, he would have pointed to the sorrow and grace in the heart of God. See, church history is full of suffering. You can't, you, you, you can't, you can't read the history of the church and not end up at suffering for those who are faithful. You can't. It's impossible. There's, there are words written in the New Testament that say that all who would live God, godly must suffer persecution. All. A-double-L. So, this signing up to be a Christian is not for the weak of heart. It's for those who say, I really honestly grab a hold of the, 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 the tenets of faith and the love of Jesus. And I say, I'm following him all the way to the end of the road. There's a book I re read a few a couple years ago, it was called For the City, and it was the, 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 the biographical information of how two guys planted churches in St. Louis, uh, Missouri, and in Austin, Texas. And one of, the, the, one of, the, one of the, the, the chapters in the book has everything, it's about suffering. 
One of them is brought before a, a, a church planting board, and they're, they're going through his resume and interview and determining whether they're going to support him as a new ministry. And they, they, they walk through things. Your resume looks great. Your education looks great. Your experience looks great. Blah, 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 blah. You're, you're, you're a man of integrity, obviously. Blah, blah. Said, we have one thing we're concerned about. And he said, what's that? He said, they said, you have never suffered. He was moving into a, a, an inner city place where suffering was just everywhere. And they said, we have fear that you will not be able to connect with those who are under such difficult circumstances. He walks out of that interview and says, God, I just want to do what you asked me to do, whatever it takes. Within a year, he lost a parent to cancer. He himself was diagnosed with cancer. Went through several other heart-wrenching, suffering-type things. And God gave him an inclination as to what suffering means and how you connect to people who hurt the worst. And today, he pastors one of the, the largest and most influential and missional, I would say this, they, they, just, they run to wherever they find a mess in their community, in Austin, Texas. They run right into it. The, 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 the Fox News affiliate, one time his, their church showed up to, a, to a, uh, an apartment complex fire. The whole place burnt down. People were without homes. And on, on TV, on the local news, they told the people these words, don't call the Red Cross, call Austin's Tone Community Church. Now, if he had not understood the idea of suffering and being without stuff and doing that kind of thing, would they even have, be able to have that testimony that they should call them instead of the Red Cross? Who knows? And he chronicles in this thing that times of suffering is when the church, church's light blazes the brightest. That when we suffer well, people don't know how to deal with that. When we suffer well and we offer forgiveness in the middle of great pressure, people don't know how to contend with that. When, we're, when we are in the midst of suffering and we choose to honor and worship God, people are like, what in the world is going on? When, when, we, when we walk through things and everything is in complete chaos, but we uh, get to, get to en enjoy and have an endowment from heaven called the peace that passes all understanding, people are like, what in the world is going I need what they have. And it's in that moment that the glory of God is bestowed upon the, the frailty of the human condition and shown to be greater than whatever life, whatever Satan, whatever the world can throw at us. And we try and hide from it, and we try and skirt around it, and we try and develop theology that makes people believe they can get around it. And I think, honestly, I think that kind of thinking is straight from the pit of hell. God promises us he will comfort us in our trials, yes, but he never promises us you can, you can get around it by just saying the right things and praying the right prayers. Never. It's not in there. And so you, you, we, we got to be ready because, listen... According to even this newsletter with Barry Insight, that the, the, the temperature climate of our culture is not real conducive to being faithful to God. And if I'm not ready for that, and if I don't think through those things, I'm not already ahead of the curve on that, I'm, I got some really difficult, ugly times ahead. We all have difficult, ugly times ahead. But the issue is, am I, am I solidly founded on the person of Christ? He uses some things. If I can say this, when you come to Christ, you're invited to a fight. Do you know that? You're invited into a battle. You're invited to come join an army who is engaged. 
You're invited to come take on a challenge. In fact, he says, you, you, you endured terrible suffering. Those words there can be translated literally, many challenges. The word terrible there means, is the Greek word alephesis, where we get our idea of a, an athletic challenge, where opposing things collide together, and the, 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 you know, there's a winner, a victor. There's a challenge, there's an opposition and so we have to be ready for that, we, to, to strive, to understand that we will suffer misfortune. Philippians 1.29 reads like this, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ. You guys have had a great privilege to trust in Christ, the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege, the Apostle Paul writes, of suffering for him. Got amens on the first part, got a lot of silence on the second part. Still in the Bible, man. Still true. Whether you like it or not, whether you'll cheer about it or not, it's still in there. You have the privilege of trusting Christ, and you have the privilege of showing people that you trust God to a great degree by, by suffering for him. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, so you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord, the Apostle Paul writes. Like a good doctor, one of the commentators says, the writer has given a warning not primarily to frighten, but to remind the Hebrews of a better way of living. He calls them in verse 32 to, to remember even ever a good Christian exercise. It has become easy to forget the first zeal for the gospel in spite of persecution and prison. This forgetfulness can happen in, in, in individuals and in churches and is often the byproduct, listen, these day, listen to this, is often the byproduct of more comfortable days. Just as wartime days can produce a new solidarity in the hour of danger, so tough days for the gospel can draw Christians together and nerve the arm. Days of ease do the reverse. Matthew Henry would say this, When they had suffered in former days, after they were illuminated, that is, as soon as God had breathed life into their souls and caused divine light to spring up in their minds and taken them into his favor and covenant, then earth and hell combined all their force against them. Here, observe, a natural state is a dark state, and those who continue in that state meet with no disturbance from Satan and the world. But a state of grace is a state of light, and therefore the powers of darkness will violently oppose it. Those who would live godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecution. Wow. Must. Why is that a big deal? Why is suffering a big deal? It helps us. Suffering helps us whether you like it or not. It helps us in the simplification process. You know why? When I'm in a difficult time, I don't hang on to things that aren't necessary. I don't. I don't get anxious about what color the carpet is when things are tough. I'm just glad we have a place to meet at all. I don't, I don't get uptight about whether somebody greeted me at the door. I'm just glad there was a door for me to walk into. I don't hang on to things that are unnecessary. I don't, I don't, I don't worry about whether the car is going to work and whether I'm going to stay alive that day or not. You understand what I mean? And we worry about things that we, don't have, that we have no need of worrying about. What, what Tasha just read to us is, 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 is a, 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 similar, a parallel piece of Scripture from Matthew 6 where it talks about Listen, 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of all the physical things that you have need of. That's what it says there. Go read Matthew 6. He's talking about finances and food and all those sorts of things. He said, seek seek first kingdom of God. And that's what what Luke 12 is describing. It's God's pleasure to give us the kingdom. But But the kingdom we're inheriting is not a kingdom on this side. It's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. That's why Jesus could stand there in complete peace and joy and not even have to answer. He stood there under immense pressure. And didn't cave, didn't compromise, just kind of dealt with it. And in grace and in mercy and in truth and in forgiveness, he hangs on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. I don't know what, they don't know what they're doing. And we complain, you know, if, you know, we think we're, think, we think we're suffering because of, you know, an appliance breaks down. Well, it's 25 years old. At some point, it's going to give way. That's just natural corruption. That doesn't mean necessarily Satan's trying to beat you up. I mean, get a perspective, dude. Now, I understand you got a bunch of food in there, but if you follow Matthew 6, 33, he'll take care of it if you're seeking him first. You know what I mean? It helps us centralize when we suffer what truly is important. When you've noticed people have gone through tragedies, you know what? They're not worried about whether what kind of condition, again, like the car is in. They're worried about where their kids are. They're not worried about working overtime. They're worried about making sure that they can be available to their. They will leave work in a second. When things are going on, things are difficult. They start to be concerned about the spiritual depravity of their neighbor. And they cross the, they cross the back fence on purpose. Because they realize this thing is coming down. And if I don't do something. I got a phone call last week from somebody who wanted advice about going to see somebody who was, who was dying of cancer. And the last time they had a lot of interaction with that family, it was bad because they said some dumb things. And all of a sudden, tragedy, suffering stoked in them a necessity to prioritize, humble myself and go take care of business. Because this, be, this may not last very long. And that's beautiful. It's centralized what important. Hebrews 12, 26 reads like this. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed. So the only unshakable things will remain. And since we are receiving a kingdom, there's these next words, that cannot be shaken. Your physical house can be shaken. Okay? Your relationships, they can be shaken. Your bank account can be shaken. Your job can be shaken. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All the nice things you'd like to have can be shaken. All the things that are unnecessary can be shaken. But listen, we are receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken is what the words are written here. And Tasha just read to us, not from any prompting of me, from Luke 12, it says it's his pleasure to give it to us. I didn't know she was going to read that. That was so odd. I was like, cha-ching, that's awesome. I love it when God does that. This is where we're a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping, worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Let's read verse 33. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule 
Hebrews 10. And were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. He talks about what they suffered, all sorts of afflictions. They, were, they, they suffered in all sorts of ways. And, 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 and he kind of lays them out there, the kind of suffering. He's, he talks about Matthew 10.32, or Hebrew 10.32. says about the, you, you suffered terrible suffering. And then here in verses 33 and 34, he chronicles the kind of suffering they endured. He talks about public ridicule. It means reproach, defamation. It means that people do poke fun and think you're absolutely crazy. It's part of the package. Jesus would say words like this, Be weary when all men speak well of you. If your job is just to remain popular and keep things like in the middle of the road or whatever and not make any waves, you're probably not fighting on the right side of the equation. Now you should be known as a person who is, who is, is as gentle as a dove but wise as a serpent. I'm not trying to say you go and try and pick a fight. I'm saying you recognize true conviction that sometimes some things you believe in, things you stand on, will put you in front of people who will publicly ridicule you. It's going to happen. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning because he talked about other things. He talked about physical damage. He said you were beaten. It has the idea of affliction and tribulation, anguish, distress, persecution, tribulation. He talks about those kinds of things. That's the progression. There's ridicule, but right after that comes like they really take it serious. These people who, are, who, 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 who understand the grace and the power of God. It, it, it's, a, it's a real thing. We get so concerned about how we look. I hear, you hear a lot of things on commercials and TV about image and how important that it is. Listen, image is nothing. Image is false. Image is fake. You can portray any image. What, what God wants is people of conviction and of substance. Who will say what needs to be said? I had a guy approach me this week. He's going through some things, and he's a, he's a leader in a, in a church not far from here, and he was going through some stuff, and he, he called me up, and he, can we meet? And I said, yeah, we can meet, so we got to get early one morning, and we walked through some things that we're going through, and I said, you know, there's no real easy answers here, right? He said, yeah, and I said, I said you, what you have to do, and I just kind of laid it out. And his response to me was, Aaron, I came to you because I knew you'd shoot straight. You wouldn't give me the easy way out. You, you, you'd tell me the truth because you love me. And you would let me skirt around the issues. Now, I could have made him mad at one point in time, saying, dude, you, and he, there, was, there was a point in a space where he blew it. And this thing kind of disintegrated. And I said, dude, you missed that point. That was where you should have stepped in right there. But now you've got to step, step up to the plate. You can't back off anymore. You've got to run into it. You've got to run toward the mess. We have to be people who will take the risk. We have to be the people who will speak the truth in love. Never, never devoid the truth of love. Please, 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 please. You, you inflict more damage when you try and just be truthful instead of being loving. You should always speak the truth in love. Always. Always, always, always. And the truth is profound and the truth is precise and truth is distinct. 
But Jesus, whenever he spoke the truth, he spoke it in love. Always. He said the next thing you, you, you faced was imprisonment. It really means to be a present, prisoner, to be under arrest. He's writing these people, they came under such severe persecution that they, they suffered public ridicule, they suffered physically, they were beaten and things like that, and they were, their, their, their liberties were confined. They couldn't come and go as they wanted, they couldn't, and yet they remained joyous and hopeful. Chains, they talk about chains or an incapacity or an illness is, is the word used there about imprisonment. The next thing he says is you lost, you lost all that you owned. It means to be plundered, to, things to be confiscated, to be robbed, to have something taken by force, to undergo violent greed. And, and, and here's why I bring this up is because, listen, part of this simplification process is offloading the weight and the weight, a lot of times, are things that we own. It's just a tr- Is it not the truth? It's the truth. The more I have, the more I have to take care of. The, 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 and, 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 you know, I had, something, I had something break down last week. So we got home from church, walked into our house, and some, you know what, it's still broke. I just haven't got anything about it. I'll eventually make the phone call. Very good. Meanwhile, my family is very cold. They're not very cold. They're just, we just have to adjust how we're doing heating. That's all. It's not that, it's not that bad, honestly. I, I don't want to make it sound like weird, like, dude, Aaron's, Aaron's kids are destitute. Really, that, you know, collected the coats and things. It's not really about those, you know, other kids. It's about, never mind. It's not that. <laughs> So what's God looking for? If we're going to have to go stuff like that, what is God looking for? Can I tell you what he's looking for? First and foremost, he's looking for faithfulness. Did you read verse 32? He said that you remain faithful through many challenges. The way faithfulness is most developed and displayed is when things aren't going well and you just stick to it. God intends to build the character of Christ in you. And when he comes back and splits the sky, the Bible says he'll have a name written on his side that says true and faithful. And the way you're going to become faithful is to endure. The way your faithfulness is, is displayed is when things don't go right and you hang in there and you give it all you got and you keep praying and you keep giving and you keep studying and you keep giving other people what you need, what they need and you keep doing those things you know you're supposed to be doing. God's calling us to faithfulness and the best way faithfulness develops is because we go through things and we just stay at it. The other thing he's calling us to is otherishness. Did you read what he said there? He said in those pieces of scripture that you helped others who found themselves in the same boat you were in. Did you catch that? Where's it at? Where's it at? Let me see. 33. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. God intends for us to be aware of the needs of those suffering people around us. He wants us to help. He wants us to be otherish, not selfish. And one of the best ways we do that is when we realize what things are important, what things aren't. We just let go of them. And then we have space and we have time, we have energy to offer to someone else who's in need. The other thing he wants from us is not just faithfulness and not just others, but he wants joy out of us. 
He wants, he wants to see joy grow up. And he said in 1 Peter 4.13, listen to these words. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the, all, to the whole world. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you receive the message with joy. They suffered. They had been mightily supported under their former sufferings. They took their sufferings patiently, and not only so, but joyfully. They received from God as a favor and honor conferred upon them that they should be thought worthy to suffer reproach for the name of Christ. God can strengthen his suffering people with all might in the inner man so to all patience and long suffering, and that with joyfulness. Can I say something to you? I feel like God said, like, like, like God would, 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 would have me translate this. You stepped to the plate in the contest. You played your role for the good of the rest of the team or other team members. You stepped to the plate when it was necessary. You didn't give in to the, to the pressure. You overcame the pressure by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you remain faithful in joy, in hope, in peace. Matthew 5, 12, Jesus would say these words, Be happy about it, be very glad, and there are exclamation points at the end of both of those sentences. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You need to centralize your focus. Hebrews 10, 34, the end of it says this, You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. That's how you stay faithful. That's how you stay otherish. That's how you stay in joy. This is not the whole ball of, of wax. Being successful on this side does not necessarily equate to being successful on the other side. Being successful in the temporary doesn't mean you're being successful in eternity. Listen, keep, keep your focus that there are better things ahead. As good as a life as you may have right now, and if your life is going well, rejoice that the blessing of God is upon you. But at the same time, realize yours, that this is nothing compared to the joy waiting you in heaven. As good as it may be right now. As good as it may be. Now listen to this. If you're suffering right now, this is as close to the hell as you're ever going to be if you're in Christ. It only gets better from here because you will one day be in heaven. And there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more darkness, no more disease, no more despair, no more addiction, no more frustration, no more de de depression. None of that stuff. is. It will be gone. And so whatever you're undergoing right now, realize this. That this is as close to, 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 to real suffering as you will ever, ever get. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, better things are ahead and better things are in eternity where moth and rust do not decay. Tasha, you keep preaching. You hear me? Keep preaching. Listen, it ain't about this side. It's about that side. It's not about here and now. It's about eternity and if you get sidetracked on the here and now you will lose sight of eternity and it said colossians 3 1 says set your sights there fix your eyes civilization and suffering should lead us to two things building life solely on the eternal one who is the eternal one the bible would call him the ancient of days the eternal the everlasting father the prince of peace the almighty god right christmas is coming right and locking in on only eternity. The decisions that I make, I don't make based on what might happen in the next 30 seconds. I, might, I make my decisions based on what will happen in 30 eons in heaven.
Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.